Michaels Employee of the Month. You are looking at the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, the headliner, the showstopper, the main event. But as I stand here today, looking at my life, seeing WrestleMania on the horizon, I realize I am living heaven on earth. Is anybody that ought to face The Undertaker at the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania? Sweet chin music! You're looking at him. Shawn Michaels. Sometimes it is hell trying to get to heaven. 16 and 0 at WrestleMania. A feat so extraordinary, no one could ever think of replicating it. A man has never lost at WrestleMania. I don't think I've ever seen a better big match wrestler than Shawn Michaels. The man who revolutionized the ladder match. I'm the man that wrestled for over an hour and watched out champion. Shawn Michaels, I have never been out before on the grandest stage of them all. My God, can you believe this guy? And I never will. I respect The Undertaker, but I am not afraid. Of the Undertaker. Shawn Michaels, the time for prayer has just begun. In the beginning, darkness moved across the face of the deep. And God said, light and God saw the light and that it was good he divided the light from the darkness he called the light day and the darkness night
It's the New Blood Rising podcast. We're back doing another episode of The Perfect Tens, where we take one match and we just go through it, soup to nuts, figuring out why it is, why it's a perfect 10. I'm William Rankin, and today I am going to be joined by a very special guest, someone I've had, had the privilege of being on his show. He does probably, I'd say, and I don't listen, I don't hear too many single man pods. I think if I had, I'd have to say he's probably the best. There's no doubt about it. Because there's, it's, it, once you, and and if, you go, if you've been through the catalog, and I guarantee if you've been, if you're a listener of this podcast, you've probably crossed over there. But if you haven't, on the show today, Henry Huge Pex, the suplex throwing human duplex, the host of the Raw Attitude Podcast. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, thank you very much for having me. And uh, also, let me just say in advance, I apologize to your listeners who were probably expecting Jason, Charlie, or Martin. You're getting me instead, so sorry about that, everybody. Well, it's what we were just talking about off uh, with off off mics was we're entering that year five era, and one of the things we're I really want to experiment with, and some we've we've talked about on with the other pod hosts was that it'd be fun to have some other people on talking about some of these perfect tens because. Everybody looks at a match differently, and there's so many people that can say this match is a perfect 10 where I'd otherwise go, my God, I never would have heard, I never would have thought that was a 10. But that's what makes it interesting is to hear why somebody views it as a 10. What are the components that go into it that make so? There's no, I, there really can't be a wrong answer to it. Sometimes you may not necessarily agree, but it's fun to hear about the journey. And I'm interested to hear your journey because you wanted, you picked, it, there was no hesitation. You picked Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 25. Yes, and in terms of it being a perfect 10, that's not that I'm necessarily saying that, oh, this is a perfect match, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it's my perfect match. It's my favorite match of all time. Some probably would say it's probably a cliche choice because I'm guessing this is probably a lot of people's favorite matches. But when we get into the background, I'll, I'll discuss the background and why this ended up being kind of like a more... Uh, I don't want to say surprising match for me, but uh, the background of the match, I didn't actually think the buildup was hugely spectacular going into it. It was just kind of a case of like, oh, yeah, these two guys are fighting. They've been in the company, you know, in Shawn Michaels' case since 88 and The Undertaker's case since 1990. It's like, yeah, their paths haven't really crossed since, you know, 97, 98, the casket match at Royal Rumble, which, you know, crippled Shawn Michaels for about four years. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool. They haven't wrestled in a while, but I didn't think going in, that we were going to get what we got in this match, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Before we dive in, I just then give people justice who have may not have heard your pod. Just briefly tell them, the Rotitude Podcast, what is it? Why should they listen to it? Oh, yeah, I guess that would help if I gave a little background there. No, no, that's my fault, man. I just, I just got a little too amped up for it and just dove right in. No, quite all right. So the Raw Attitude Podcast, basically the quick synopsis is that Uh, I chronologically recap episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. And like you said, I usually do them solo. If it's a a pay-per-view episode, I'll bring in a guest. You've been nice enough to come on the show, uh, I believe, four times. We've had some really great episodes. We did SummerSlam 98. We did uh, the Raw versus Nitro mega episode on January 4th, 1999, where Mick Foley won the title on Raw, and they did the finger poke of doom on Nitro. And then just recently, you were kind enough to come on for for WrestleMania 15. And again, I I really owe you for that one, because again, not the the best best, uh, show. But, But a very good episode, though. I, I and I said it on Twitter, and if 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 
people out there who listen to the show haven't heard it, you've got to go listen to the Over the Edge 99 episode. That is a work of art. And I really mean that because there are a lot of pods that have a, that avoid doing Over the Edge 99. And I get it. Like, it's it's a weird thing to to want to tackle is the, the night Owen Hart dies in the rain. You did an amazing job because it wasn't just strict, strictly editorializing. It was you got all the facts like that. I don't know how that dark side of the ring episode is going to go. I hope it oh. is like how you laid it out where it's like this is what happens at 804. This is what happens at 807. And it really puts into perspective when you look at what's going on in the ring during some of those matches. And granted, I haven't watched that thing back since then. And I, that's what was interesting about some of the stuff you talked about that happens on that show because it's just so forgotten. But marrying what's happening in the ring to the, I mean, just chaos that's going on backstage. That was a hell of a pod, man. Yeah, that though a lot of effort went into that one because... Uh, that was basically that was a solo episode like usually like I say I bring in a special guest for the pay-per-views but surprisingly no one wanted to sit down and watch over the edge with me I can't imagine why so it ended up being I did over the edge in the following nights raw is Owen kind of like a, a, a combo episode easy for me to say and it ended up being basically me talking for about three and a half hours just laying everything out and in case that sounds boring I will say that like a lot of it was me putting in audio clips and stuff like that so it's not just me talking I kind of I tend to use like the sound bites as my co-host to kind of break up the monotony a little bit but yeah that was about three and a half hours uh funny enough i just recorded last night my most recent episode because again we're going chronologically just in terms of the attitude a lot of big stuff just tends to happen week to week so i did the over the edge episode recently and the one i just recorded last night was the revelation of the higher power which uh which is also by the way and the night we're taping this not to get too far you know, behind the scenes here, but we're taping this on the night, coincidentally enough, that AEW is revealing who the exalted one is. Oh, so I was like, wow. wow. I was like, what a fitting <laughs> bit of symmetry that is that we get the higher power and the exalted one basically right at the same time. So just a funny bit of a coincidence there. But yes, I'm currently in June of 99 on my podcast. And uh, by the time, I don't know when this episode goes up, but my higher power episode that I do with my friend Adam uh, should be going up. Uh, early April, maybe WrestleMania weekend, maybe a little bit before, but it will go up uh, early April. So be on the lookout for that if you subscribe to the Raw Attitude podcast, which uh, which I hope you do. Yeah, man. I, I, the the thing that was I, the thing I really liked was there about the Owen episode. Outside of that, was it was emotional. Like it was hard not to tear up hearing a lot of those tributes from Raw because again, not something you go back and watch. I mean, I remember the Owen Hart tribute. I remember. Uh, various points of it but it's you know when you get older you know you look at things a little bit different and it touches you in a different way and you're just like man it just when you hear mark henry doing the poem it's unbelievably emotional but then on the flip side what i thought was cool was how you found moments of levity to try and break it up just for a minute like okay here here's let's take a breather before we get back into some the hard stuff here so i thought that was just this is really well done man like i was just that was really good Really good. Thank you. It, it very much helped that the morning of Over the Edge, uh, Steve Blackman and JBL had their infamous fight at baggage claims. So when I, was, <laughs> when I was going through the episode and I saw that come up, I was like, oh, thank God, something I can joke about. Yeah. About Steve Blackman kicking JBL's ass at baggage claims. So that was, that was much appreciated. I even got to dive into Hardcore Holly's book because of that, because he has a whole story about I love, about I love his book. Huge fan of his book. 
I love his I, book. Yeah. yeah. I've heard it's really good. I haven't read the whole thing. I kind of like just took an excerpt from it online for that episode, but I've heard Hardcore Holly's book is, is really good. So you have actually read it. Yes. So I, I, but there's what was really cool. And I'll just go through this briefly. It was, um, I, I read it. I read it very quickly because it's, it's written in a way that it's like, you know, it, it really doesn't BS around. Like it's, it's, it is, even though I think he's, he's got somebody else writing it with him. Like it's, it's hardcore Holly's voice without a doubt. But like yeah. what was really neat was like he pulls no punches about like uh, about about people at the top of the card through those through the couple of eras that he goes through. And what makes it fascinating is usually mid card guys don't write books. You know, it just mm-hmm. that that doesn't happen. Like we're not <laughs> we're not going to be getting the Damien Demento biography, I think, anytime <laughs> soon. You know, to hear about man, I'm, I made a vented taker on the first raw. Like, no one cares. It's it's OK, bud. Well, um, will you be picking up New Jack's autobiography that's coming out soon? It will. So what will happen is they'll announce it's coming out, and then it won't come out for like like twenty years, and then oh, now it finally comes out with the music and everything, just like all his <laughs> matches. Nice. Nah, man. I I I love all the New Jack content that's out there. By the way, Dark Side of the Ring's gonna do a little bit on him and everything. Like we're just getting so much New Jack content in the age of coronavirus. It's great. Oh yeah. But, but um, what I was gonna say is like what was neat afterwards was. I did a write-up of his book, and he was re- like, he responded to it. Like, he was oh. so cool on Twitter about it because I had written also about like that crazy feud with Brock Lesnar, how it felt like it was a main event feud, but it it got like a a mid card payoff. Oh yeah, yeah, that was uh, Royal Rumble two thousand four. I think yeah. they had the match. Yeah, yeah, and it's just this crazy. It, he goes through it back like how it's just their classic scenario, and it's going to be a fitting segue to what we're talking about where. There is you you start off with like 20 minutes and then like every five minutes like you loot. It's like you're loot. Somebody comes back and says, hey, you got a instead of 20 minutes. You got 13 minutes. And then it's like, well, you got seven minutes. Now oh. you got four and a half. And that's basically what happened to where they just couldn't do anything. And they be in uh, the match that took all the time away was the Shawn Michaels Triple H cell match, which is still going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it just you know, I'm talking. It wasn't a cell match. I think it was. Maybe it was. I don't remember. I remember it was some kind of cage. I don't know if it was technically mm. a cell, but it was long and arduous. It was not. It was definitely not the SummerSlam match that they had. That's for sure. Yeah, but, I don't actually remember what else was on that car. I, I, I remember who won the 2004 Royal Rumble, uh, but I don't remember. I don't remember the other matches that were on that card. So yeah, it's it's the other title matches. It's Triple H and Michaels, and then it's and then you have Lesnar and um, you got Lesnar and Bob Holly. <laughs> crazy, <laughs> what a crazy matchup! But it's a it's a fitting segue because you know that. It, that's a good five years before we're headed to where we are here. And like you said, like part of the thing that's fascinating about Undertaker and Shawn Michaels is they managed to stay away and stay apart after Michaels comeback in 02. They, they don't really interact. I was trying to go through and find a time where they, they interact before Well, the bit. The first moment is that is, is the, the prequel to this match, I guess is Royal Rumble 07. Yes, yes. Which is awesome. Like, it's like the the match that, like, kind of, they did a backdoor Undertaker-Michaels match in the Royal Rumble. Yeah. So I, that's that's what makes it interesting is that these guys have so much history, and yet they really didn't cross too many paths after Michaels' comeback. So how do you want to tackle it? How do you want to tackle the buildup to this particular match in 09? 
Well, I actually went back because, you know, offhand, I my memory is a little bit hazy. So I, I went back and I kind of like looked at the Raws and what was leading up to this. And the reason why I say, you know, in my memory, it wasn't that huge of a buildup was because literally, if you go back to No Way Out 2009, the pay-per-view right before this WrestleMania, they're doing the storyline where Shawn Michaels basically has to act as JBL's slave. Because he's, you know, he made the bad investments in the stock market and JBL's bossing him around, making him be his employee. So they're still doing that up to no way out. And then essentially the way they segue into this is, you know, obviously Shawn Michaels beats JBL at no way out and he gains his freedom. But then right after that, they kind of segue into JBL saying, you know what, I don't need Shawn Michaels. I want I want to beat The Undertaker's streak at WrestleMania. And then Shawn Michaels just comes out, you know, newly newly happy Shawn Michaels now that he has his freedom. And he says to JBL, he's like, no, no, I want to face The Undertaker at WrestleMania. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And so they have a match. Basically, they schedule a match for one week later, which is February 23rd. And HBK then does defeat JBL. So it's kind of like, okay, so Shawn Michaels gets to go face The Undertaker, right? Well, I don't know if you looked this up, but basically after Shawn Michaels wins the match, a certain undefeated superstar attacks Shawn Michaels and then it's the, and then they basically say Shawn Michaels has to face that undefeated superstar on the March 2nd 2009 Raw in order to once again win a shot at the Undertaker at WrestleMania. Do you happen to know who that undefeated star would be in March of 2009? In March of 09, who was undefeated? I'm trying to think who was undefeated cuz this is right. I'm a, my blind spot is about to finally end because I definitely was out of wrestling for a, a chunk of the 2000s, which I feel like I've heard from multiple people. Like there's that just that area you just lose out on. So I Me don't too. know off the top of my head who was the undefeated guy. The undefeated guy who could have defeated Shawn Michaels to go face the Undertaker at WrestleMania was Vladimir Kozlov. Oh, that's right. So, that's in the package. That's okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, but the reason I bring that up is because it's like, again, this this goes into my whole thing about the buildup being kind of like, huh, really? Like, so Shawn Michaels obviously then does defeat Vladimir Kozlov on March 2nd. And we don't really get the first sort of Shawn Michaels undertaker, you know, face to face sort of thing until March 9th. And the WrestleMania is April 5th. So really, we only get like four weeks of buildup when usually, you know, you think of the road to WrestleMania. Sometimes they start building these things up all the way, you know, from Royal Rumble. Right. onwards. So I was kind of like, huh, you know, this, it did kind of um, reinforce what I had in my memory. And, and that's not to say there aren't great moments leading up to WrestleMania here. There are uh, specifically, I, I'm thinking of the moment where like, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels is in the ring with the casket and the lights go out. Undertaker's in the ring when he comes back on and Undertaker's like, I wonder where he is. And Undertaker thinks Shawn is hiding inside the casket, but in actuality, Shawn Michaels is hiding under the casket and he kind of sneaks out and super kicks the Undertaker. So that's not to say that there weren't bad moments. There were, there were some great moments leading up to it. It was just kind of they really compacted it into a very you know quick period of time uh, leading up to WrestleMania. So, uh, And if you contrast that with, let's say, when they do the rematch next year, they build that up. I think they do the, um, the moment at the Slammies in yep. like December yep. when Shawn Michaels challenges The Undertaker. So you get like three or four months of buildup for the rematch. So that just kind of... You know, I, I guess you could say it's kind of my uh, my sort of memory of how they built it up and, and uh, not not thinking it was, you know, overwhelmingly awesome, I guess you could say. No, I mean, but it's the interesting thing is like Michaels and Taker have so much like like history that is that makes it really interesting. And I didn't that was a that was a part about this particular buildup that was an interesting kind of rock to tackle because you're like, well, you know, 
when you go back to the nineties and you hear like these stories about just how like, yeah, yeah, there was the click, but then there was also the crew. There was the Bone Street crew. <laughs> yeah. And, and and you just see how Taker and, and Sean are on these opposite sides of the locker room. And, you know, we get into an era where what's real, what's not, what's a rumor, what's an urban legend, what's fact, or is something a combination of all of it? And, you know, we've heard the stories about how, you know, was Michaels going to get, was Michaels going to do the do the favors for Steve Austin at WrestleMania? Well, in case he wasn't, The Undertaker was sitting there with his taped fists just waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there's those things. And, like, and overall, just how, like, they, they did not have what appeared to be a great relationship. They had an awesome, I mean, the bad blood, I mean, that that is arguably a perfect 10. If somebody could, somebody would probably want to do that, that bad oh, yeah. blood uh, cage match, the debut of Kane, that is an awesome. It's Hell in a Cell, actually, I should say. That it is, is yep. first one ever. Yep. Yeah, that is a fantastic match. And then the Rumble match, you know, is fine. It's more remembered for, well, it's remembered for two things. It's remembered for, obviously, the injury, and then it's remembered for, the casket just exploding on fire. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then where'd he go? But um, it's just interesting how these guys had really just kind of this pointed history. And then it just doesn't seem, it just seems to not be a talking point for years. I, I yeah. just don't remember. Because Taker just kind of got parked on SmackDown for like most of the decade. Did great. I mean, obviously, like really, re- like, Found his prime. Like, I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's like he found his prime. Not when you'd think he would, but he did. And mm-hmm. what's and what's great is like this match is going to pretty much just you know set the table for the next like five years and pretty much all you would ever need from his career ever again. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, you're right about this build. That's what's funny. It's like it really is. It's very condensed. The video package feels like it's longer than the build. The video <laughs> package is insane for this. It is like they really go. I I had forgotten because I, um, I, I remember coming out of my blind spot and getting back into wrestling. I was like, man, Michael's really embracing the faith here a lot, isn't he? Like, you know. I, oh yeah. <laughs> and I know obvious reasons with it, but you know, I I thought that was interesting. But tell me now. All right, so that's you know that's basically the build and i mean it's and they they throw out a lot of the good like a lot of good marketing terms you got mr wrestlemania versus the man with the undefeated streak of wrestlemania you know the great line by michaels in the in the video package you know about that same type of thing um but uh tell me now about like all right when did you first see this match uh i first saw i did see it live i was actually with some people some people fun enough who i've had on my podcast uh, Adam and Sal, two of the guys I've, I've had on uh, quite quite a few times on my show. Uh, we were watching it at uh, my friend Sal's place, and we I think all three of us universally we were just blown away by this match. Um, and we were there were other people there too, but I've kind of like they were the ones I actually knew there. So so I remember them being there. I don't remember necessarily the reactions of the other people, but I remember everybody just being like you know holy shit, especially one particular moment of this match, which I'm yeah. sure we'll get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, it was just universally, you know, instant classic right away. And I still think, you know, watching it back all these years later, uh, I still think it is, you know, it, it still lives up to the hype. It still is. Again, it's, it's a perfect end in, in my opinion. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, the, I mean, it's, it consistently is up in that whenever there's a list about either top five, all time matches or WrestleMania matches, it is in that top five you know, consistently. And I, I would say like, there's an argument that it's a, 
it's it's a more entertaining watch. It's a more all around better match watch than Steamboat and Savage. I think there's an argument. I'm not saying that's the case, but I think there is an argument for it in terms yeah, of its. I uh, think one of the big benefits of it watching it back is even though this and this match goes over a half hour, but for me it never feels long at all because even the moments where there are some dead spots there's drama in those dead spots particularly when undertaker does his his, his signature dive over the top rope yeah. which i'm sure we'll get into there's drama in that and you know I'll, I'll probably just save it for when we get into it but i mean like even in those moments where not a lot is happening they're still mining a lot of drama out of it because it's like these two guys are just you know kick the shit out of each other for 20 plus minutes the match is still going and both of them are selling like they have nothing left it's like how is this match going to end so even like i said even you know even though it's uh, i think it's 30 minutes and 44 seconds or something like that it's right around there it does not feel long at all and i still i enjoyed the hell out of watching it uh even now today that's a funny side note it's just the fact that going into this match they were only supposed to get 15 minutes Oh really? Yeah. So like, it's this is fun to go look up. I, I the referee's name is escaping me. He's not one of like the. It's not Mike Kyoto, basically, is what I'm yeah. saying. It's it's, I, it's Marty Elias. I had to look you. it up. Perfect. There you go. Nailed it. Um, he did an interview talking about like, re, like yeah, they the the look on their faces when they were told they were going to get 15 minutes, and they're still relatively high on the card. Like it by the time this finishes, you still have about an hour and a half left of Mania. Is that right? Somewhere around there, or an hour. Yeah, somewhere around there. It's I mean it's I mean it's a waste of time at the, at that point, but still that's what's left. Well, they they kind of look at each other and they're and uh, backstage, I guess, and they have this moment where they're like, "Well, they say we're going to get 15." <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's really cool that these two guys were just sort of like, "All right, this is what they think, this is what we're going to give them, and it's going to be something special." And they completely delivered on it. So I thought that was interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, and, and and it feels that way too. Like all of a sudden, like when it's it's time to do that, do that match, you're like, oh wow, it's this high on the card. I remember because I saw this live. Like you, I was at. I, I will say is what's. I know going to a wrestling event is great. Seeing a wrestling pay per view at a bar is one of the best things ever, especially a bar yes. where people are really paying attention. The, it it can be more fun, I think, because when that because especially when it's good, when it's a good match and everyone's getting into it, they're getting into the false finishes. I mean, it's just that community energy. It's like going to the theater sold out for a comedy. Like that's fun. That's really fun. Um, I saw totally. this with Charlie. This is back in college. This was like the first WrestleMania I'd seen in a long, long time. And I remember this match. This was what was fun about this was the way the way we we kind of new blooded out before that was even a thing. Where we just kept screaming at each other, "What's it gonna take? <laughs> What's it gonna take?" And then I mean, there's some of those camera shots, and I'm, I know you'll get on get in on that. But um, we were just like dying, and it was just definitely one of those cases where after the match, it was just sort of like. I need a cigarette. That was great. <laughs> yeah. This is this match gave me the feeling, and I, I remember this kind of reliving it. This was a match where it kept going, and obviously there were finisher kickouts and all that. But as it was going on, I remember thinking, I don't want this match to end. I just want this to keep yeah. going. Like that that chant where people say fight forever. I was like, yes, please just keep this going. I can't get enough. Just more. It, Give me more of this. Is it possible this is the debut of This Is Awesome? Because the way Jerry Lawler plays it, it's like almost like it's the first time he's ever heard 
people chant, this is awesome. Yeah, I made that note, too, because it it comes well into the match. It's not, you know, they could have, the modern crowd would have chanted it probably, I would say, earlier, because, you know, there are so many moments that are just amazing in this match. But, like, by the time they do the this is awesome chant, it's like, it's probably only with, like, it's got to be at least, like, 20 or 25 minutes in when they do it. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I I did note that as well, because it did jump out at me. And the last thing I'll say about, like, what's one of the things that's going to make this special is, like, you and I have seen enough wrestling, and most people have watched this or listened to this show have, have, have watched enough wrestling where you know all the beats. You know the beats of a wrestling match, of, a, of your typical match. Like, you know, and some of them, like, use more of the beats than others, but you know how, you know when it's time to do the double down. You know when it's time to hear the, see the comeback. You know when somebody's going to get the fin- hit their finisher, but... Uh, they're they're going to get the two counts. It's too early in the match. This match, what's great is it goes through all the beats and then it goes into like this overtime period where yeah. you're like, I don't know what can happen next. And it feels awesome because yes. like you just don't you, you're not relying on like all the stuff that you've that you've grown accustomed to with professional wrestling. It's like, dude, this can go anywhere. And I love the fact that I just I can't peg it down. Yeah. That's and actually and, and piggybacking on that, too, I also remember you know, going into this thinking like, yeah, the Undertaker streak isn't going to end. But as the match was going on, I was kind of like my tone shifted to where I was like, shit, I'm rooting for Shawn Michaels to end this streak right now because this match is so fucking awesome. Because <laughs> oh. he was because he was performing so well. His selling Shawn Michaels selling. And also you mentioned earlier uh, the bad blood match, the hell in a cell against the Undertaker. Same sort of thing. If you want to see masterclasses in selling on either this match or the bad blood match, Shawn Michaels, it's just just phenomenal how good he is at selling. So let's do it, man. Let's walk us through this match uh, in Houston, the special night. How's this thing go? Absolutely. Well, it is. It's April 5th, 2009. Houston, as you said, actually, we got two Texans going head to head. Two Texans, I should say. You got Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, both in their home state. Uh, commentators, Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, and Michael Cole. Pretty good combo here. I think Jim Ross clearly steals the show on commentary, but it's a good yeah, threesome. It, it feels like Cole is being shoved out the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> but uh, I will say, although in in fairness, I don't know if Michael Cole gets enough credit, but I think Michael Cole actually is very good at what he does. You know, yeah. people people have been slagging him for years, but Michael Cole as the lead guy on Raw is, is very, very good. So I agree. Yeah. Um, but in this case, like you said, he's kind of he kind of gets shunted to the third tier on this one, but that's okay. Uh, and you actually mentioned it too, how Sean was kind of uh, Sean Michaels was leaning into the sort of Christianity thing. So the just the entrances alone, Sean Michaels dressed in all white, descending on a pedestal like he's coming down from heaven, and the, you even get the heavenly chanting. But then like Pyro goes, goes up and his regular theme song starts. He gets down on his knees and he says a prayer, gets some more Pyro, and. I actually, on the note of the Christianity thing, I thought it was just kind of funny that it's like, you know, I'm picturing Vince going up to Shawn Michaels being like, listen, Shawn, we're doing this, you know, light versus darkness thing. And uh, the guy who's the Lord of Darkness is going to go over you. So I hope you're okay with that. You know, (laughs) no big deal. The Lord of Darkness is going to beat, you know, Mr. Christianity over here. So I was, I'll tell you, I love the fact that he's got a prey camera. We're like, okay, go ahead and do your prayer. All right, <laughs> cut to the wide, hit the hit the pyro, boom. <laughs> there you go. And yeah, and, and like, a, oh yeah, and direct contrast to that too. Undertaker, if you really want the parallels to be even more obvious, Undertaker literally enters from the floor like he's coming up through hell. So 
And of course, he raises his arms, and then you get his flaming pyro. So it's like I'm just picturing like I'm, I'm like, was Shawn Michaels really cool with this? Because he seems you know he's very diehard about his faith. But I guess he he didn't mind the fact that uh, you know the Lord of Darkness is going over him at WrestleMania. So is what it is. But uh, but good for him. I timed the Undertaker's entrance. It was four and a half minutes, which I'm guessing is probably on the lower end for Undertaker <laughs> WrestleMania entrances. I took the under. <laughs> yeah. But did you actually see him on the uh, the episode of Raw the other night where they were in the performance center and there were no fans? <laughs> oh man, we finally get disapproving Taker. Like that's yes. we finally have gotten it. Like just the fact that he comes out like just wearing pants and a and a beanie. <laughs> I'm like great, yeah. that's awesome. And he also we also get an Undertaker speed walk entrance too. Yeah. He didn't do the full entrance. He literally like kind of like did a, a quick sprint to the ring. So that that was a first. Or not a first, but maybe the first I've seen it in quite a while. So, uh, like I said, I mentioned the referee is Marty Elias, and my first note was, "How the fuck did that dude get this gig?" Because I barely remember Marty Elias. I I had to look it up because I was like, "Who the hell is this referee?" So, I don't know. I I did not remember him at all. He his interview. He sounds like you know he was just a dude who scrapped like three like over the years, just trying to get to. A level where he could be a paid referee and to just doing every type of gig, you know, in the book and stuff like that. And seems like a really cool dude, you know, when he talks about this match. Just really grateful to to have done it. So sounded really cool. Well, sounds like you're ready to walk with Marty Elias. There, man, nailed it. That's why I say yeah. about my son, since his middle name is Elias. I'm ready to walk with Liam Elias. Let's go. <laughs> nice. Was he named after Elias specifically? No, it's it's. I, I wouldn't that be awesome? Was I name I named my son, I gave my son's middle name after some jobber on Raw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but maybe he'll grow up to be a musician. You never know. You never know. That'd be great. Yeah, but so so in terms of the match itself, um, I, I will actually make one note, one other note about the build up here though that I think was a nice touch. So in the build up. Undertaker basically, in the build-up to this match, I should say, all the weeks they kind of built it up, you know, from like early March onward, Undertaker never gets his hand on Shawn Michaels, really. Shawn Michaels super kicks him several times, but Shawn My- or, but uh, Undertaker, I should say, never gets the better of HBK. So I thought that was kind of crucial because it also plays into the beginning of the match where Undertaker is like kind of going for punches and like, you know, Shawn's ducking under his arm and running away, like getting a quick chop in on the Undertaker and kind of like scampering away. So... I just kind of like that touch. I felt it, that it played man, in pretty that well. That rascal hicking bottom, he got me again. Damn it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, eventually, though, of course, Taker does get his hands on HBK. I think the very first, the first time he really gets his hands on him, he kind of like grabs him by the throat and tosses him into the corner and he starts punching him. Uh, so, you know, we get, we get a little bit of the reversals, you know, Taker whipping HBK and he goes upside down into the corner. You get a backdrop, you get a press slam and... It's about, I'm kind of like fast forwarding a little bit here, but I mean, all this stuff, you know, again, you're kind of just starting the basics of the match. Eventually we get into, you know, HBK going on offense. And at this point, we kind of get into what I thought was going to be, when I first watched this, the sort of gist of the match, because Taker, uh, or rather Sean is taking the Undertaker down. He's putting him in a figure four leg lock. He's kind of like working over the leg, which in my head, I was like, okay, this is probably going to be the focus of the match because Undertaker being a much bigger guy, Sean Michaels, the smaller guy, you take out his legs. Obviously, you know, that sort of makes sense, right? And they, they do go that way for a little while, but then they kind of, let's just say they steer in a different direction. Uh, but I did appreciate that sort of like early touch. I was like, yeah, makes sense from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. And then as we go on, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 man. Go keep going. Oh, sure. 
Um, I was also saying how Sean, uh, in addition to working over the lake, he also basically tries to keep Undertaker mat based at one point. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time, you know, this is 2009. And, you know, sadly to invoke this, Chris Benoit had, you know, done that whole thing less than two years prior. But there was a time where Shawn Michaels, and I remember Triple H doing this too, they kind of were trying to reclaim the Crippler crossface. Do you remember this? How, oh, like, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Because, yeah, when they break it out in this, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I'd forgotten yeah. that, like, you know, I, it's one of those things I thought, like, they, everyone kind of stayed away from until, like, Daniel Bryan brought it back, kind of, you know? Right, right. But even, even Daniel Bryan's is, like, slightly different enough right. where, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, it doesn't, well, I, I guess it's still very close. The label lock is still pretty close, but, um, this was, I think, sort of like, you know, a period where w- what I'm assuming the logic was, was like these veterans like Shawn Michaels and Triple H being like, you know, we're going to reclaim it. So instead of it being, you know, Chris Benoit's move, it'll be our move. And obviously they quickly gave up on that. I'm guessing probably because when they started doing it, fans probably started chanting for Chris Benoit. That would be my guess. I yeah. don't know for sure, but that would have the opposite desired effect. I hope that's not the case, but you know. Anyway, so Shawn Michaels does one here, and uh, I also I just mentioned Triple H doing the crossface because uh, my term for it was the tripler crossface, which I just thought was hilarious. Um, kind of bums me out he didn't keep doing that because I could have gotten some mileage out of that, but alas. So anyway, so Shawn Michaels puts Taker in the crippler crossface. doesn't last for too long. Taker manages to escape, and then at this point, we get into what I would say is the first real instance of the match kind of like being... You know, sort of like, whoa, okay, now we got something going here. So Shawn Michaels goes to the top rope and weeps. Taker basically snatches him out of the air, catches him by the throat. From there, he picks Shawn Michaels up, but Shawn kind of like jumps away to escape the chokeslam. And then what he does, this I've never seen this done before in a match I can remember. Maybe it has happened before, but Shawn basically motions as though he's going for the super kick. So the Undertaker drops down to the mat. And because I'd never seen it before, like on my first view of this, I remember thinking, I was like, did Undertaker just botch that? Did he sell right. the, the super kick? But no, it's not the case. Undertaker is basically like preemptively like diving to the ground. But again, Shawn Michaels kind of being the crafty, you know, veteran. Obviously, Undertaker's a veteran too. But he was kind of basically like feigning a super kick so Taker would go down to the ground and then Sean goes back to the figure four. But Taker then counters that by putting Shawn Michaels in the Hell's Gate and then Sean manages to escape by getting his foot on the rope. So just in this quick sequence, you have like five or six counters that just are just off the charts. It makes sense from like what we've already established in the match. Shawn Michaels was going for the figure four earlier. So he goes back to it, but Undertaker has the hell's gate and Shawn Michaels has to scamper away. You know, he counters the choke slam by, you know, potentially, you know, jumping out of it to do the super kick. So just these sort of things where it's like, you're taking the history of Shawn Michaels and you're taking the history of the Undertaker and you just put them together. And it's just like, wow, all those counters just made so much sense based on these guys established move sets over the past you know, 20 years, essentially, in their case. So that was just something where I went back and watched this. I was like, wow, this was just, you know, beautifully done. And we're only 12 minutes into the match. Yeah, so that's there's still wild. a lot yeah. more to come. Yeah, it almost feels like, and I know the, the, there's, a, there's a schism in this match. And, like, you can basically say, like, it was almost like they did two matches. Yes. In a way. So this is all part of that match one, which is really good. I mean, like, it, and you're right. Like, and the benefit is both these like especially Taker, he's got so many signatures that you can either like either have him do or have somebody find a way to uh, escape from counter, you know, turn into their own move, and that's what's that's what's really special about you know 
Taker and some of these guys, even a Randy Orton's like this, like he's got a billion signatures that you can right. use to be these really cool spots where maybe the other guy finds a way out of it and does something. They also do a callback to Michaels and Jericho from the year before where, you know, he, he acts like he's hurt and he's not. And he yes. Just, it was, that was kind of neat because that's the whole, that was the whole reason why that feud started in a way. That's right. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, that um, I forgot to put that in my notes. At, like at the very beginning, how I was saying, you know, is Shawn Michaels being sneaky and avoiding, you know, getting basically getting uh, touched by The Undertaker, but avoiding The Undertaker getting any offense in on him. And, yeah, that was when he did that sort of like feigning the injury. So, yeah, totally. That was a great call there. I completely forgot to mention that. But then we kind of kick it into a little bit of overdrive here. Not, I guess not overdrive, but we get into what you're saying where it starts that second portion of the match. So essentially... Taker throws HBK into the steel steps, and then he kind of, you know, puts Sean over the ring ropes, goes for his jumping leg drop, but Sean moves, so Taker hits the ring apron, and then Shawn Michaels goes back, gets a running start. He hits a drop kick through the ropes, and that's what knocks Undertaker down to the floor. And with the Undertaker down on the floor, talk about moves that you don't see very often, and probably for good reason. This is when Shawn Michaels gets the idea to go to the top rope with the Undertaker standing on the floor and he attempts a moonsault, which The Undertaker basically responds by literally swatting him out <laughs> of the air. So Shawn Michaels falls to the floor. Well, there's a reason you probably don't see a lot of guys do moonsaults, you know, basically. I mean, you, you'll see people like uh, like Hangman Page and Charlotte, you know, do the sort of moonsault where they land on their feet. Yeah. Shawn Michaels just fucking crashes and burns right on the floor. <laughs> so there's no one catching him. In fact, literally, Undertaker is swatting him down to the floor. So, oh, man. Yeah. I ain't doing it. Nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not at all yeah taker had no interest in catching him quite even even the opposite literally he's he's smacking him down to the floor so this is basically where like Shawn michaels starts kicking into like the selling of how tired he is and again from what he just did it makes perfect sense like Shawn michaels just friggin killed himself on the arena floor so it makes sense that he's now you know selling even more than before and acting like he's completely out of it so i approve but then but then we get into the next portion where Shawn Michaels is on the floor. The referee goes over to check on him. And that's when The Undertaker gets an idea. <laughs> and so with Shawn Michaels on the floor with the referee talking to him, The Undertaker gets the idea to get a running start and do his signature leap over the top rope onto Shawn Michaels. But HBK shoves the referee out of the way and pulls a cameraman into his way instead which causes The Undertaker to land horribly because that cameraman does not catch him cleanly at all. And it looks like Undertaker almost breaks his goddamn neck. Yeah. And they, yeah. we get several replays of this. <laughs> I don't know how he didn't kind of break his neck on this. Well, you but, see that, like that indent on the floor. <laughs> like yes. And I, I remember in the bar, we were like, oh, my God. We, were, we looked at each other like, He's really hurt. Like there's yes. no way. And what's that's what's that's what's amazing is like somehow like I I don't know what the communication is. I know I've heard different ways before, but like everyone's a little bit different. How he just gives the notion that he's okay to whoever like because it it really does seem like that thing is over. Yes. And yeah, that's and I mean the problem is like everybody was too far back. If they were like like two feet and like more closer to the ring that probably doesn't come off as bad then again it's just scary thinking this 
I mean, either way, like Michael's is gonna get smushed by the Undertaker, yeah. or this poor cameraman and his yep. camera are gonna be smushed. Yeah, it's it's an incredible spot. It's it's one of the most all. I mean, it is an all time WrestleMania moment, uh, which for, is for all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons, right? But actually, I actually made in my notes that this may be like one of the few instances of a botch actually improving a match. Yeah, because. For my for my money, like when that happens and the replays again, even on the replays, it looks like Taker really gets fucked up. So I was like, okay, this match can't go much longer in my head because um, again, when I'm watching this match, I'm kind of like now going back and thinking about where I was in 2009, and I remember thinking like they have to end this match because Taker, you know, whether they just do a quick finish with Taker, you know, choke slamming Sean and that's it, they have to end the match because it can't go much longer. And literally, you know, they, they we're only halfway through the match as it turns out, but. Uh, the cameraman, of course, was Sim Snuka, uh, not not an actual cameraman. So right. I had to make the note here: uh, pretty bad night for the Snuka family. Sim <laughs> drops right. the Undertaker, and uh, and Jimmy taps out to Jericho. So <laughs> bad night, bad night for the Snookas at WrestleMania 25. But uh, in terms of that botch there, like I was saying, kind of improving the match, because what happens then is Shawn Michaels, literally, he goes into the ring and he grabs the referee and he tells the referee to count. So I was like, well, maybe this maybe this is it. I actually did buy it because I was like, well, shit, if Taker can't continue the match, then I guess they have to, you know, count him out. It would be a very anticlimactic way to end the streak. But I mean, when the referee's count got to nine, I I bought it because I was like, maybe this this could be it. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then you buy it. You do. Yep, absolutely. And well, but then so obviously Undertaker does get back into the ring. And so Shawn Michaels sets up for sweet chin music, but Taker sidesteps it. He kind of just grabs HBK by the throat and he does a quick choke slam. And at that point, I I actually bought that finish, too, because I was like, okay, you know, Taker just landed on his head. They're just going to do a quick, you know, choke slam where basically Shawn Michaels can do all the work. You know, Shawn Michaels can just lift him up and then Taker can just pin him. So again, I'm just like revisiting all my thoughts from 2009 where I was like, Taker Taker landed on his head. He can't continue the match. So they're just going to end the match now. And of course they do not because Shawn Michaels kicks out at two. Uh, Crowd totally bought it. Amazing choke slam. Or unfortunately, if you're Jim Ross, he actually calls it a clothesline. But, you know, (laughs) nobody's perfect, I suppose. The one blemish on this match uh, from Jim Ross, I suppose. (laughs) And then actually uh, tying into something you were saying, too, about how The Undertaker basically has all these finishers. This is another reason why, for me, this doesn't this match doesn't suffer from the sort of you know finisher fatigue that we get at a lot of uh, WrestleManias or a lot of events in general, where it's like I'm going for my finisher, I have to hit my finisher, you know, three times before you'll actually you know stay down. But in this case, you know, they go into the next segment, they go into the last ride, and Shawn Michaels reverses the last ride into like a sunset flip, but then Taker's basically like, uh, "Nah, fuck you, I'm going to do it again," and he actually hits it. So like because Taker has these moves where he has the choke slam. He has the Hell's Gate. He has the last ride in addition to the tombstone. You can get away with all these different reversals and kickouts because it's just you're reversing a different move or you're kicking out of a different move. And it, it makes it feel a little bit fresher to me. You know, when, when I was watching this match at the time, it didn't come across to me as like, oh man, another finisher kickout. You know, it came across to me as like, holy shit, like what more can these guys do? You know, th- does that make sense? Oh man, Dude, that and that last ride is fantastic. It is. Oh a- yeah. It's the one time where like you felt like it was a different power bomb because the way he extends him and he's so high and it's this perfect back bump that Sean takes, it makes it look really devastating. 
Absolutely. I mean, well, because you add in the fact that Undertaker is already like, what, 6'10", 6'11". Right. So you're already high up if it was a regular powerbomb. And then he's basically, you know, giving you a wedgie and dropping <laughs> you, you know, even higher into the air than you would be. So, yeah, it's, it's a hugely impressive move. Um, but then we go into even a little bit more. I'm surprised to say, you know, we're, we're still going to this match. So Shawn Michaels, basically, he charges at Undertaker, but he sidesteps and kind of throws Shawn over the top rope. And again, vintage Shawn Michaels, what does he do when you throw him over the top rope? He skins the cat. And then this is just another thing you notice, um, you know, based on these guys' movesets over the years. When Shawn Michaels skins the cat, it literally puts him in perfect position for Taker to just snatch him and tombstone him, which I thought was an amazing touch. It's like, yeah. I never really thought about that over the years, but it's like, yeah, this Shawn Michaels move transitions perfectly into this Undertaker move. And of course, Undertaker picks him up, he hits the tombstone, he covers him, he does the signature move where he rolls his eyes back, he crosses Sean's arms, and of course, that's the end of the match because nobody has ever kicked out when Shawn, when Undertaker has done the the little signature pin move he does, right? Right. But no, because right. Shawn Michaels then does kick out. I, I swear, this was the first time anybody kicked out of that pinfall attempt, right? I, th- that's a great question because I was trying to remember, like, because at 14 he gives Kane, like, he, it takes three tombstones, I think, to put him down. Yep. And I, I, he does it on the last one. I don't remember him doing it on the other on the other ones, so I can't 100% say so. But if I'll tell you this. like Even if somebody had, there is no way you were thinking that, that Michaels was going to kick out. And that's why Taker's reaction. It's an all-timer. Like, man, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god when they when they zoom in on that look on his face that's that's another all-time moment right there the wide-eyed that's it. Yeah. undertaker look charlie yeah. loves this line it's the jim ross line i've just had an out-of-body experience yes <laughs> I, I put mean? that down too because <laughs> jim ross doesn't do that for every match you you can tell when he's feeling it on commentary yeah. you know yeah amazing mm-hmm. so yeah and again like i was saying that that sort of um you know Undertaker catching Sean from the skinning the cat into the tombstone. That's basically a perfect end to the match. You know what I mean? Like that, you could easily end the match on that spot and people would have been like, you know, bravo, fantastic, awesome match. And they do that with like 10 minutes to go. So it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, again, if anybody has ever kicked out of the the signature Undertaker pin, it doesn't happen very often. So they kind of pick their moments here, but when that happens, it's not a case of like, oh, okay, here we go. He kicked out of the tombstone. It's like, holy shit, he kicked out of the tombstone. We're still going. Fuck yeah. So I love it. Uh, after that, we get maybe like the one sort of, you know, blemish on the match because Taker picks up Sean. He goes for another tombstone and Shawn Michaels tries to reverse it into like a DDT, but Undertaker's head kind of like lands on Shawn Michaels' hip. But yeah. really, that's, I mean, that's really the only minor nitpick I have with Which, this match. The, the, you know what I always think though is like, that that move is still effective because they're so tired that that takes so much out of them anyway that yes. it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So total, totally fine by me because, again, it's, it's a perfect 10 for me. Still gets a perfect 10. Um, but, yeah, so from there, Shawn Michaels goes to the top turnbuckle really slowly, by the way. Again, he's still selling like a friggin' boss. Slowly climbs the top turnbuckle, hits the top rope elbow drop, and then you want to talk about finishers for the first time in the match – Shawn Michaels nails sweet chin music. I th- oh, no, I'm sorry. I think he might have hit one before this. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I think I'm wrong about that. He did. He did hit one before this. But this is the second time Shawn Michaels hits sweet chin music. But again, it's a case where, like, if he hit that, 
and you wanted to end the match right there, it'd be like, yeah, that totally fine. Absolutely. You know, yep. Hit the super kick. Shawn Michaels overcame the odds. He kicked out of the tombstone. He hit the super kick. But no. And this is like you were saying, this is when we get the this is awesome moments mm-hmm. when Undertaker kicks out of the super kick because the crowd is just feeling it. They're, I think they're in the same boat where they're like, oh, my God, what's it going to take to put either of these guys down? It's just just amazing. And from there, we kind of get one of those um, one of those moments where, you know, both guys are basically like dead on their feet, kind of like holding each other up just to kind of like chop and punch each other, which I always appreciate. So what and what ends up happening here is uh, the, the end sequence basically goes like this. So Taker goes for Tombstone again. Sean escapes. He hits some more chops. So Taker throws Sean into the corner and he charges at him. But Sean Michaels gets the boot up and kicks him in the face. And from there, because, because the first moonsault didn't go poorly enough. Shawn Michaels decides to go to the top turnbuckle and go for a second moonsault in the match. But this time, Undertaker catches him in literally like midair, perfect tombstone position. He hits it again, once again does the signature cover, and this time he gets the three count. At 30 minutes and 44 seconds, Undertaker is 17-0 at WrestleMania. Crowd goes nuts, and both men just lie on the ground and sell for a while because I think they fucking earned it. Yeah, So absolutely. Yeah, man. And, oh, uh, I was also going to say, too, a great Jim Ross call at the end there, too. Two of them, actually. I'll mark two great Jim Ross calls. He says, as a fan of sports entertainment, I am honored to have the opportunity to sit at ringside and see this. And then a little bit later, Jim Ross says, as a wrestling fan, how could you ask for anything more? And I agree on both sentiments. And again, those are not things you're going to hear Jim Ross say for just every match. Like He put this match over huge because he knew at the time. And again, this is another thing Jim Ross is great at or or was great at. I, I can't speak to his AEW commentary these days, but this was something he was always very strong at was he would pick his moments and he would say, you know, as he was watching the match, he knew what he was watching was special. So Tip of the hat to Jim Ross, but obviously bigger tip of the hat to Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, who just delivered an absolute all-time classic, in my opinion. And again, this is why I put it as a perfect 10, even though, granted, you guys did cover this. I probably should have taken into effect the fact that you guys already covered this on the show. But for me, when you said, you know, what's your perfect 10, I was like, it didn't take me, you know, much time to think of Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker as my personal perfect 10. Well, you know, and the difference between, like, what we did in Season 4 when we looked at this match and this is that... Season four is about the streak. How does that match fit into the streak? And and what's interesting is like that's when this it's it's an interesting period of time right there near the end of the decade where the streak really becomes important. Like it becomes like this reason why people are coming after him. Well, and mm-hmm. I mean, funny enough, in four years, it's two guys coming after him. But you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah. there. It's it's a reason why people want to face him because. Like even the Orton one was kind of like the cap off of his legend killer gimmick. The it didn't really feel like a big part of the Batista one or even really the Edge one. You know what I mean? Like it just mm-hmm. it wasn't. I mean, of course he gets brought up. You can't it, at that point in time. You it was like you it wasn't like you you could avoid bringing it up. It's a part of his character when it comes to WrestleMania. But it felt like this was the beginning of when the streak really got important because when because of just the quality of this match it just now like the expectation is an undertaker match is going to be this unbelievable highlight of the show and the difference though is like when we were doing it on when we did it as well is like we're focusing on the undertaker we're not focusing on Shawn michaels as much but this match is really important to like the the back end of his career because his 2000s is this really incredible little comeback and this is really like this 
it's nice because this is when he's starting to round it home. You know, he's starting to he's starting to bring it home. And that's why I wanted to ask you, like, how you felt like when they decided to do it again, because you were enthusiastic about this then. I've uh, I, I know Charlie's thoughts in this match because I remember when we talked about it then, and and not too long ago. What are your thoughts on when they decided to do it again? I absolutely love the buildup because the buildup was basically entirely centered around this match because Shawn Michaels wins the Slammy. I think the Slammy was actually, you know, for basically whatever the equivalent of like best match of the year was, or maybe it was match of the year. So Shawn Michaels comes out. And again, I think this was December of 09. He accepts the Slammy and then it looks like he's going to walk away. And then he comes back and he's like, Undertaker, I know I can beat you, blah, 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 that sort of thing. So right there, they're teasing the, the rematch. My... Mike, well, actually, I'll get to that in just a moment. But the the actual buildup, I think, is actually very good because Shawn Michaels, I think Undertaker is basically refusing the rematch initially. So it's kind of like, well, Shawn Michaels has to win the Royal Rumble. And then he's in the Rumble and they, we get that awesome moment where he's like on the ring apron. He's holding onto the ropes. And I think it's Batista who like shakes the ropes. And Shawn just kind of does this fall to the floor. Yeah. Like, you know, his dream of like facing the Undertaker again is dead. He comes back in the ring. He super kicks a referee. It's like Shawn Michaels is going crazy because he just wants to face the Undertaker. Right. And Undertaker is just kind of like, nah, don't want to do it. And if I recall correctly, I think it's I think it's the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, or maybe it's No Way Out with an Elimination Chamber match, where it's down to, I believe, Undertaker and Jericho, and Shawn Michaels shows up and super kicks Undertaker and basically lets Jericho win the match, because he's trying to, he's taunting the Undertaker to basically say, you know, what do I have to do to get you to face me? I'm going to keep fucking with you exactly. until you do face me in the rematch. And that's saying something, because remember, Chris Jericho punched his wife in the face. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> so he, he was willing to overlook that to cost the Undertaker the title. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you got it. Then, that's, that's how it went down. Yep, and uh, this is just from memory. I didn't actually note this, so I'm I'm glad you're backing me up on this because this is just like all me going back in it. Uh, but then, of course, they turn. I think the Undertaker essentially says, "Like I'll do it only if you put your career on the line." And so we get career versus streak, and that was the point when I got bummed out because I did not want Shawn Michaels to retire. Right. Because I mean, literally, I mean, look at this match. This match is you know amazing. This is my my favorite match of all time. Shawn Michaels can still go you know what i mean like and now it's like one year after this match one of the most you know amazing matches i've ever seen it's like Shawn michaels is not gonna wrestle anymore like he but he's still amazing you know yeah, yeah. so it, it became pretty obvious you know in the build-up that obviously you know I, I didn't think the undertaker was going to lose the streak at this point so i was like well shit so Shawn michaels is just gonna be done that kind of sucks you know so i do remember at wrestlemania 26 rooting for Shawn Michaels in the rematch. And I remember the rematch was good, but I mean, again, it's like, how, how can you top the original? You know, it's like the, the sequel is rarely as good as the original, obviously some, some exceptions. Right. Um, but I mean, in this case, I was like, you know, that's, that was like a perfect match. You can't really, you know, top that. So it, I was bummed for multiple reasons. Number one, that they were just going back to the match a year later and number two, because it was going to be the end of Shawn Michaels' career. So, or at least what we thought was going to be Shawn Michaels' career until that that Saudi money came out last year. But right, yeah, yeah. But I mean, to his credit, he did stay retired for a long, long time. So oh, he, yeah, he yeah, stuck yeah. to he stuck to the stipulation. The only thing I'll say about like the and this is my it was, it was my criticism then, it's my criticism now with it. All that stuff you said, like that's a desperate man. But I don't see a desperate man in that match. I don't mm. see like somebody's like he's more desperate in this match. 
than he is in that one. Like he's he's crafty. He's using every kind of weird tactic he can to get the best of Taker. He doesn't really do yes. that. Like twenty six is a lot of it, it becomes him working the leg. Like it becomes a work the leg Undertaker match. Mm. And and it's difficult because you can you can tell like they were they're forced into trying to duplicate something and they do a great job. It's a good match. It's a really good match. It was just impossible to do this, you know, this again. So yeah, I'm with you on that. And the reason I want to bring that up is like we fast forward to now. And I mean, who knows what happens with WrestleMania? I, I mean, there are things that say like, this is all a smoke screen for something later, but at some point the undertaker and AJ styles are going to go at it. And it feels like like the build like this is the first time the Undertaker's build has been really personal. Yes. Like 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 all the way like we're just gonna drop it all and call him. We're gonna we're gonna break kayfabe on the name. We're gonna talk about yeah. his wife. We're gonna do all this stuff. So I'm not expecting WrestleMania 25 with AJ Styles, but I don't think it's going to be like what was John Cena like 90 seconds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what are your expectations? Just real quick with him and AJ Styles what are you thinking how are you think that's going to go I expect that they they will go for it and try to put on a top-notch match because AJ Styles again you know he's he's a bit older too but AJ Styles is still pardon the pun a phenomenal performer he's still amazing AJ Styles can put on a fantastic match I don't think you put him in this situation unless you plan on at least you know trying to have him go out there and, and have a really good match with The Undertaker I am uh, again I'm not watching Raw every week I'm kind of like picking up bits and pieces but from what I can tell, the whole buildup based around Undertaker, you'll still you're still going out there. You should have retired years ago. But your wife is a gold digger. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Like this is this is really the buildup? Like he's calling him Mark. I was like, what the fuck is going on with this? This is insane to me. You We're know, like Instagram we never... photos of of Undertaker and his wife just you know like fishing oh. and stuff like that, like having a life. And we're gonna use that. Like I was like, wow, he's oh. really giving it. Oh, my God. We haven't seen that since uh, DDP was stalking Sarah. That's right. That's right. Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Getting personal with The Undertaker's wife. But, yeah, I, I was just like, really? You know, like you have AJ Styles and you have the club. AJ Styles is obviously an amazing wrestler. You got the club who could basically be acting as his heavies. But that's not really the buildup, you know? I mean, he had the the built-in thing. And, you know, if you want to go back to the Saudi pay-per-view where Undertaker cost him whatever that, that giant trophy yeah. was. Yeah. So you have that. But the buildup hasn't really been about that. It hasn't really been about the club attacking the Undertaker or, you know, Aleister Black uh, losing it, or, or rather Undertaker costing AJ Styles his match against Aleister Black. It's been AJ coming back and saying, you know, Michelle McCool wants the money, so that's why you're coming back. I'm just like, really? This is this just does not. It's kind of it, it goes a long way toward you know killing that mystique of the Undertaker, which I don't, uh, I can't really go for. I guess in this day and age when kayfabe is basically dead anyway, it's not a huge thing. But for me, I'm kind of like, really? You know, this is what we're doing with the Undertaker? Okay, fine. Yeah, you know, man, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm curious. Like, I'm curious how long it goes. I really am. I'm curious what kind of stuff they end up doing in this. Um, I'm curious if Michelle McCool is at in the match, which would be even crazier. Like just a, yeah. the Undertaker's wife is in the match. She but, could hit um, AJ with the with the Faith Breaker slash Styles Clash. Yeah, the, <laughs> I, man, you see him trying to do a Styles Clash on Taker? That'd be oh. wild. Yeah, breaking his neck. I, mean, I ain't doing that, man. I don't know what the hell that is. I ain't yeah. doing that reverse pile driver shit. I ain't doing yeah. that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, man. I 
everything you everything you've talked about this match. I mean this this one this this one's kind of a no brainer, and um, it was cool to go back through this one. Cool to go back through this one with you. Let me ask, how many times have you watched this over the years? Uh, this I think was probably my third time watching it. I, gotcha. um, I watched it originally the first time. Obviously, I know I've watched it at least once since then. Uh, I think what probably has not necessarily prevented me from watching, not not prevented, but uh, prevented is the the wrong word, but because this comes up in so many highlight packages and things like that, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I remember this beat, I remember this beat, so I don't go back and watch the whole match, you know, too often. Um, But you know, in this case, obviously, in the lead up to this show, I went back and watched it, and you know, it's still amazing in my opinion. And I'm, I maybe I'm in the minority, but like, if I really love a movie, I don't. I'm not one of the people who like watches that movie a billion times. I kind of, you know. I guess because in my the way I think is kind of like I don't want to get to the point where I memorize every beat of that movie. You know what I mean? Like I want to go back and still be surprised by certain things, uh, which is probably, you know, a weird kind of mindset to have. But, you know, I don't really revisit the same TV shows often or revisit the same movies. So same sort of thing with wrestling where I don't really go back and revisit the same thing. Like when I do um, these episodes of Raw on my podcast, it's pretty much the first time I've seen them since I watched them in 1999. You know, so it's been a big cushion. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of my way of thinking. I'm kind of weird like that, but, um, yeah, I I would say it's been about yeah three times since I've seen this match, but you know, I recommend if you're listening to this right now, I recommend, uh, whoever you are, you should go and watch that match because it is still just an amazing match. Well, he is Henry huge pecs, the suplex throwing human duplex. He's, uh, he hosts the raw attitude podcast. Let me ask you real quick, just as you've gone through your episodes of raw, what has been the most like? What has been the most fun for you? And I'm talking about like the most either episode, the segment, the thing. What was the thing that you came across? I was like, man, that was a lot of fun to come back and revisit, or maybe even just see for the first time. Yes, the the one thing uh, it's actually funny because it's um, it's something you and I covered together. It is my all time favorite moment uh, on Monday Night Raw. Um, also, one of my favorite moments in wrestling history is when Mick Foley won the title that first time. Because that was just so unexpected. I mean, a guy like Mick Foley, you know, ultimate underdog, throws himself off the cell. He was never, he was always, you know, that sort of guy where it's like he'll do the crazy shit to entertain the fans. But I never really envisioned him having a run with the belt. But when he won the belt, it didn't feel false at all. It felt like this is so earned. This is such an amazing moment. And the way they did it on the show, if you actually go back and watch that January 4th, 1999 episode of raw there's if you start watching it there's no indication that he's even getting a title shot on that show because right. it the, basically the buildup is like vince mcmahon saying you don't deserve a title shot but i'll let you you know face triple h and you can earn your way into the royal rumble right. and then he loses to triple h because shane kind of fucks him over so foley basically puts shane into like a like a stretch submission and he's like i want a title shot tonight and that's how it comes up and that's probably like you know halfway through the show so even going back and revisiting that episode of raw was a real treat because i was like this is hitting you know some familiar beats where it's like okay mick foley can't get a title shot but he can he can be in the royal rumble and that's kind of the way i assumed it was going to go you know at the time back in 99 but then it just veers in a completely different direction and it's like holy shit mick foley is now the champion when halfway through the show he was like just competing to be in the royal rumble so just amazing moment there my all-time favorite monday night raw moment um there have been some certain things i've gone back and revisited um again like the higher power i just did that one (laughs) that was you know not the the best 
revelation. But uh, going back and watching that show, there were some things I did not recall. Like at the beginning of the Higher Power episode, Vince McMahon comes out, you know, before the Higher Power is revealed, and he's like, "Whoever this Higher Power is, I'd like to meet him." And then he basically lists off like a bunch of names of who is rumored to be the Higher Power. Like basically, he was going like down the internet rumors, like, "Oh, people say it's Jake the Snake Roberts. People say it's Commissioner Shawn Michaels." I'm like, "Wow, okay." I I did not remember that Vince was like flat out addressing the internet rumors before this came on. So there's all these sorts of things like Raw in 1999 and Raw in 2000. It is it is very unpredictable and sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad. What I've kind of taken from it is like if you go and watch these episodes of Raw, specifically in the Attitude Era, if you're watching them from like the like the Dave Meltzer or the Scott Keith perspective where you're like, this match is two stars, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a losing proposition because the matches are all very short. But if you just go in watching an episode of Raw from 99 and just say to yourself, you know, are you going to entertain me for an hour and a half, two hours? I think that's why the ratings were so high back in 99 because it wasn't like, you know, we're focusing on work rate. You know, you save that for the pay-per-views. But for those episodes of Raw, we're just going to focus on giving you a batshit crazy time for two hours so if you go watching it like from that perspective as opposed to like you know gangrel versus steve blackman one star you know that's that's kind of like you're not going to enjoy if you're looking at it from that perspective and back in 99 i wasn't looking at it from that perspective i was just like come on wwf just go ahead and entertain me and that's that's kind of how i'm trying to uh to picture it on these these episodes when i rewatch them as well well, he's in 1999. Definitely get subscribed so you can go back if you haven't listened to the podcast and catch on the tail end of 97 through 98 all the way here into 99. Where we're at the higher power and everything. So where, Henry, can people find you on uh, on Twitter or on social media to be able to follow you? Yes, I am at Raw Attitude Pod. And uh, yeah, feel free to subscribe to the show. Um, like I said, yeah, the Higher Power episode will go up in early April. Uh, the one I just put up was, was you know, the one, um, the May 31st, 1999 episode is the most recent one as of the time of this recording. That's basically, that's the episode after Raw is Owen. So it was literally taped the day after. No. Um, but so that's the one that's the most recent. Uh, the debut of GTV, that's something for you. Um, the Higher Power makes an appearance and reveals his face to Stone Cold, but... Um, you know, we, we don't see who it is and, uh, and the first and only match of Beaver cleavage. So clearly a very eventful episode of, <laughs> of Monday night raw. Well, you can, um, I, you can find the podcast new blood at new blood pod on Twitter. You can, uh, find us on Facebook, new blood rising podcast. I am at William Rinkin 83. Thanking Henry huge packs for coming on the show today. We'll see you guys next time for either another Perfect 10. We'll see what it is. We'll see you next time. And thank you very much for having me. Kick out! Kick out, Cactus! Goodbye, my friend. That's the goodbye. Goodbye, Cactus. Thanks for the great memories, buddy. You're going to be missed, Cactus. Godspeed, McFoley. 